So I want to continue this morning on uh, our series into the book of Revelation uh, called Last Days Now and uh, focus on, um, we've uh, focused on the number one focus, which is God. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we're focusing on the revival letters. Uh, and it helps us know that the book of Revelation is not necessarily and not primarily uh, uh, telling us of all the bad things about to happen. But actually, it's, it's a description of the rise of the glorious church in dark days. And for that to happen, God wants to encourage and correct his church. And so we're looking at the second element this week. Uh, last week, uh, we looked at uh, return to first love. And today, I want to look at prophets true and false. I don't know of another election in the history of the United States. Uh, and I don't remember them all, but I remember lots of them. In which more prophetic declarations were made than in this last election. I don't, I don't recall one in which so much was being declared, posted, Facebooks, Instagrammed. Uh, there, there were so much declared. And, you know, there, there were some who prophetically declared very confidently Donald Trump will have a two-year presidency. But was that consecutive or? Then uh, we had others absolutely confident that Donald Trump would win the election. And maybe he did, but the votes were miscounted. We also had other um, voices, voices I respect issue a warning against the church that our eyes had become locked on a political figure and we'd lost focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they started to speak correction. And so this is what I think as your pastor. Because do you have questions about this? This is what I think is that we need to return to the Word of God to figure out how to think, and I'm not really going to tell you what I think about all the rest. <laughs> but what I do want you to get from my heart this morning is if you think there was a clash of different prophetic words today, it is mild comparing to what will continue to happen as we move towards the last days. Because in the same way that the last days and those birth pang seasons towards that last day, in the same way that there is a rise of true prophecy as one of the great promises of the end time church, there is also a rise of false prophecy at the same time. And it is a responsibility of the church that is praying for a release of more and more of the prophetic wisdom of God, as I do to also take the responsibility to lean into the tools for discerning and not simply want someone to tell us what to think, but to take what everyone is saying and weigh it up through the tools that Scripture gives us to discern the right way and the way of error. Communication, the word, is the beginning of relationship. If you have any class on friendship or marriage, the first thing they're going to talk to you about is a need for communication, right? 
And the very fact that the three-in-one God has adopted eternally as one of the persons of God the name, the Word, shows us how God desires relationship with the creation. John 1, 1 to 2, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. This Word is full of grace, and this Word is full of truth. And the very person of God in Jesus Christ, He has taken the name, He is known by the name, the Word. And this is also his final name, as we find in the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation 19 depicts the, the final triumph of Christ. And it says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. This is Jesus at the great turning point towards the end, just like Jesus, the great author of creation, at the beginning, he is the word. He is the communicating heart and affection of God. At the same time, there is a counterfeit to the word. And in Revelation 12, 9, we read, this ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole word, world just as the true word is full of grace and truth, just as he is faithful and true, the deceiver's words are unfaithful and are lies, right? And though sounding right and good, they do not deliver what they promise. They are deceitful and are intended to kill, steal, and destroy. We have the true word, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have the counterfeit word, the deceiver, and these two are vying for the future of our lives and the universe. And I'm thank God, thank God for the book of Revelation because we read the end and we know who wins. The true word, the Lord Jesus, he speaks through prophecy and dreams. First uh, Corinthians 14:1 and 31 says that all believers can prophesy. All of us can enter into the thoughts of God and share them with others. We also know from 1 Corinthians 12, 10, that some are called specifically to prophetic ministry. And so this becomes uh, sort of one of the main ways in which they express the love and grace of God is through prophetic ministry, where all of us, if there's someone who needs a prophetic word of encouragement, you don't have to say, well, let me go get, find somebody who is more prophetic than me. Just give them the word of, of love that God's put on your heart. So all of us can prophesy, but some are called more specifically to function regularly uh, as contributing that to body life. And then some are called as what I would say capital P prophets. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, the equipping Prophet. And these are actually foundational offices in the body of Christ uh, in which he provides leadership and equipping for his people um, at that level. And God desires to communicate to us and communicate through us 
through prophecy and through dreams and other forms of revelation. At the same time, the deceiver also speaks his thoughts and feelings to us through prophecy and dreams and other forms of revelation, as well as trying to influence our minds. Have you ever realized that all the thoughts on your head, all the thoughts in your head don't originate with you? Particularly the ones that sound so spiritual, like you're a failure, you're worthless, you're disqualified. That's the enemy of your souls, brother and sister, trying to inject his lies against the truth of the cross in, in our lives. But not only does the, the, the demonic realm try to influence all believers in our thinking, the strongholds that can build up in our minds, the devil uses false prophets pretending to be God's prophets to attempt to deceive God's people. In the last days, we see a rise of God's prophets. And throughout the book of Revelation, Revelation is a book of prophecy, uh, and we have different prophetic elements and prophetic individuals there. Revelation 11 is, is a, a great example, uh, and it says, uh, God promises, uh, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. That's important. If a, are they clothed in Armani or are they clothed in sackcloth? Just, just a question as I move on. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying and they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And God promises that the last day church will be marked by this anointing of the two witnesses. And I'll be teaching on this in a couple of weeks ahead. But I think that they actually stand for Moses, the anointed word and the anointing of order. And Elijah, the anointing of the spirit and the anointing of power. And God is about to bring his word and his spirit together in a brand new way to release the transforming power of the kingdom over the earth. But that's for a couple of weeks from now. God has last-day prophets and a last-day prophetic church. In the same way, the devil has last-day prophets. And we see this in Revelation 16. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. They are demonic spirits performing signs, counterfeit signs and wonders, who go about to the kings of the whole world, speaking in the name of the true word, false words to leaders. So how many of you are excited about the rise of the true prophetic in a brand new measure in the church? Amen? But we better be aware of, of the equal rise of the counterfeit prophetic that is side by side at the same time. God's prophets and the devil's prophets arise side by side. And as we hunger for a greater release of prophetic insight and declaration as God's church, we must also accept the responsibility to discern true prophets from false prophets and to weigh up the words of even proven true prophets. God speaking to us. Can you imagine that? the maker of all things, the holy, holy, holy one of Israel, 
the one who is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-sovereign. He wants to speak to you because he wants a relationship with you. I just find that so humbling and awe-inspiring that out of every being in the universe, he would want to speak with me. But that gracious gift also brings with it a responsibility to discern, to not just tag and follow people, but to discern. Because we know as he increases his speaking voice in and through the church, that there is going to come a counterfeit attempt by the demonic realm to speak and confuse. And, and I know that there is a potential for God's people to be led astray or, or to be diluted in their impact and in their focus. But this is the other thing I know, is that when there is a question about whether prophecy is actually true, much of the church will be threatened just to shut it all down. Because it's just easier to rely on the human interpretation of the Bible, which we can argue about in a sort of you know, more disciplined way, than to actually discern all this information from the prophetic realm. And sometimes I wonder if that really is the ploy of the enemy, is to make us so uncomfortable and distrusting of the prophetic gift that we just sort of shut it down and we don't have the activation of the Spirit's information that we so need as believers and we need as his church. So let's find God's way of moving forward in welcoming his immediate voice in our lives and in our church in a greater way by accepting the responsibility to also discern, to put the effort into discerning and knowing his will and way. This is what the church of Thyatira was caught up in in Revelation 2.20. Jesus communicates to them prophetically. He declares specific instructions from heaven to the angelic um, realm over that uh, church that that angelic realm would then communicate it prophetically to the church. And he opens by commending them for the very things Ephesus was failing at, uh, which shows us that churches have different strengths and different weaknesses. But he says, I know your works and how your works at the end are even stronger than the beginning, where Ephesus had left its first love and had left doing the works that it was doing at first. Thyatira was actually increasing in this area. But he, uh, after commending them and their faithfulness, he says, but I have this against you that you tolerate. You're allowing to exist, you're putting up with that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my uh, servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sanctified, sacrificed uh, to idols. And I'm actually going to take up the whole question of holiness uh, next week uh, as we look at Pergamum and Thyatira again. Uh, and I want you to know from my heart, I, I have no room for people who, who term any woman with leadership capacity a Jezebel because they don't conform to male authority and male bias in their lives. Is that too strong? That's how I feel. So the Jezebel spirit affects both men and women. And we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that a bit. But, but what I want to focus on, that, 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 I think I just said something a little too harsh because I felt like a grace drop right then. But um, move on from that, okay? Um, 
He's saying you're not putting in the effort to confront and remove somebody who is in your midst who is a false prophet. And so she is not a secular prophet prophesying into secular culture and affecting the church. She's actually somebody within the church prophesying as a voice of God within the church, but what she is prophesying is falsehood. And this call to discern, decide, and take decisive action is really what is upon all who would say, Lord, we want more of your prophetic voice. We have to be willing to also discern true from false. So how do we know true prophets from false? God has given us the ability and responsibility to discern truth from falsehood through Scripture. If we want to know more of the immediate Word of God, we better know deeply the never-changing written Word of God. Secondly, through the Spirit. Is that the Spirit activates the gift of discernment of spirits within us. And so, as we... This is why when voices rise, instead of building a following to those voices, we need to create a deeper following of the Holy Spirit in our own heart so we can hear His voice within us, helping us to discern. And finally, in community. Is that one of the dangers um, of false prophets uh, is that they so often are disconnected or they have set themselves away from community. This is opposite the teaching of the New Testament. And I'll get into that uh, a bit today. But it is through the community. As, as we all lean together, I've been in some deep conversations with people this week who are prof uh, prophetic in our midst. And I'm saying, what are you making of that? And how does that... Because I want to learn together as a community uh, to discern what God is saying. One key trait of a false prophet is given in Ezekiel 13.7 where it says, and you, son of man, the true prophet Ezekiel, set your face against, you have to take an oppositional position against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own hearts. A false prophet may sound, have all the language of a true prophet, but the source of their prophecy is out of their own desires. I don't know if you've recognized prophets that are speaking out of their own woundedness. And so what they say against God's people really so much reflects the woundedness they've had, maybe, maybe, maybe undeservedly, but yet they're speaking out of their own hearts. Or they have personal, personal sense of value in certain aspects of the kingdom but they don't speak out of the balance of God's vision, and so they speak out of their own hearts. And we'll get to this in a bit. Sometimes they speak out of their own hearts need to be loved or to have attention. But the sourcing is not the generous, giving, blessing heart of our Father. It's out of a human heart. Another element that we see that we're warned of in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 14 um, is that prophets who prophesy to make you afraid. And Nehemiah uh, um, declares this in prayer to God. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess 
uh, Neodia, Neodia and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. You can gather a following out of hope, but you can get, gather a big following out of fear. And I'm not saying that true prophets don't prophesy fearful things. But when they prophesy fearful things, they prophesy also of fear taking away God. But other voices, it just seems like they focus on stirring up more and more fear. Fear of the future, fear of other people. Fear that will paralyze you from advancing your call in the Lord. Fear is a primary tool for control. And a prophet that is not representing the kingdom, but is representing herself or himself, trying to build their own following, trying to build their own mailing list, trying to build their own donor base, they oftentimes will use fear, and particularly the fear that you can't make it without my input in your life. And the Bible gives us a clear warning. Keep your ear open for the spirit of fear being uttered through prophetic voices that does not lead you back to the fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of God says, no matter if everything may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Prophesying fear is a powerful thing, but it is actually not what draws us to the face of Christ. Finally, prophets who prophesy for their own gain. I'm so struck by this uh, um, description in Revelation 16. It also occurs in Revelation 18. It says, For the enemy have shed the blood of saints and prophets. True prophets lay down their lives for those they prophesy to. They got skin in the game 100%. True prophets are in covenant relationship with a community and would die for the bride of Christ. So when you have a prophetic voice that is living comfortably, predicting doom for everybody else, and independent of relationships of love and accountability, I get very, very concerned for the influence of that voice. I respect most the voices that, although they may have a strong prophetic voice, even in our nation, they are covenantly linked to a community where there is accountability, support, and there is an exchange of love, and they would die for that church family, or they would die for that community. Because the blood of the prophets is shed along with the blood of the saints towards the end time as a way of releasing the redemptive purpose of God. False prophets. Then we have true prophets. But one thing that we also have to learn how to negotiate is just imperfect or incomplete, true prophets. 
sometimes it's not the prophet, it's the response. So in, um, we have the story in 2 Kings chapter 13 uh, about Elisha. And it says, and Elisha said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hand. And Elisha said, open the window eastward. And the king opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And the king shot. And Elisha said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. You will fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And then Elisha said, take the arrows. And the king took the arrows. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And the king struck three times and stopped. And then Elisha, we don't have this part uh, in text here. Elisha said to the king, you should have struck it seven times. And because you only struck the ground three times, you will have some victory, but not the end victory that will lead to the full destruction and victory promised here by the Lord. And um, we don't understand exactly why that was imperfect obedience on the part of the king, but we know it was by the result. And sometimes when God issues a prophetic word and we don't fully respond, we don't see the full value of that word occur in our life. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Elisha gave an accurate prophetic word, but the response was incomplete because the faith was incomplete and that word was not fully manifested in the life of that king. Sometimes there's true prophecy, but there is wrong interpretation. Go ahead and advance that slide for me, thanks. Uh, Paul experienced this. Paul had been told by the Lord that he was going to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. But in Acts 21, we, we hear here that a, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So that was Agabus's prophetic word to Paul with a pretty dramatic prophetic act. Someone walks up to you, takes the belt out of your jeans and ties your hands and feet together. It's going to get your attention, right? Then I, but I want you to pay attention to what it, the word says next. It says, when we, that's Luke and the companions of Paul and those that were gathered, when we heard this, we and the people there, note, it's not Agabus who said this, we and the people there urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Their interpretation was that this was a warning word by the prophet Agabus that Paul should not take this direction. But for Paul, it was simply a confirming word that what God had speak, spoken to him to prepare his heart to suffer greatly was indeed going to happen, but God was going to be with him. So it was the right word, but the people who heard it interpreted it wrongly and tried to constrain Paul from actually completing the will of God in his life. 
And so sometimes when, when we hear a warning of things ahead that are difficult, we may interpret it as saying God wants us to avoid that, where God is telling us, hey, I'm right in the middle of that. Keep walking through this with me, and I'm going to be faithful to you. True prophecy, wrong interpretation. You know, um, something that is so important is that the vast majority uh, of biblical prophecy is an invitation to meet a condition. It's an invitation to meet a condition. And prophets need to be clear, and listeners need to be careful in discerning whether God is inviting to partnership for a potential that requires a human response to fulfill, or whether God is declaring a guarantee outcome of what will be and when it will happen. He is the sovereign Lord. He sees without the limitation of time. He knows the the future as though it was the beginning. And occasionally, God declares a reality that will happen in spite of any human influence or participation. That is his sovereign word being declared. But most often in Scripture, he says, this is my heart's desire. This is the potential I would like to offer you, if you will. And all of the seven letters of Revelation have amazing promises, but are all tied to if you will. Believe, change, repent, adjust, endure, whatever that response is. And so oftentimes, we take an invitation as a guarantee, and we just sit back in our current state without any change, without any exertion, and just wait for that prophetic word to be fulfilled, where God said, this is the opportunity I hold before you, and I guarantee you, I will be faithful to my end if you do your part that I'm asking you. We need to sort that out. Otherwise, we'll open our lives up for a lot of disappointment. You guys hearing what I'm saying? Uh, Just quickly, too, uh, even when the prophecy is predicting a certain sovereign outcome, it often does not predict that outcome in a clearly specified time. Almost all of the most important prophecies in Scripture were not fulfilled in the time expected by the first hearers. I find that a little disappointing, honestly, but it's true. Hundreds of years before the birth of Messiah, Isaiah was told, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. A virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. I believe Isaiah walked around looking for baby Emmanuel for years. And maybe there was a birth pang fulfillment of that in his time, but the ultimate fulfillment of it was only hundreds of years later. Jesus told the first church, I'm returning soon. And they looked for him every single day, as we should should still be. But it's now been centuries, and he still has not returned, although he certainly will. But in those centuries, heaven has been populated with billions of souls. So oftentimes, the great promises of God, we, we, by our own expectation, and even the prophetic language that is used, say, well, it's, it's probably next week. And it may be actually something for us to lean our lives into and even pass to another generation, but God's word will be fulfilled in its time. 
So we also, in this era of partiality, we need to give grace for incompleteness, but we need to call out inaccuracy. Here's a promise of Scripture at the end of a great chapter on love. We love I read these, this chapter at weddings, you know, and uh, as some of you guys know. But uh, we probably we don't normally read this end part. Love never fails. Amen, right? Good. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And here's the promise. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. That is a guarantee. But when the perfect come, when, comes, when he comes again and we're transformed, then the partial passes away. We don't need prophecy anymore because we'll, we'll speak directly face to face with him. Uh, we don't need tongues that we don't understand because we'll be speaking always the mysteries of God with the knowledge of God. Uh, and uh, as far as earthly knowledge and our human comprehension, it's going to be superseded by the divine knowledge of God. But right now, we know in part and we prophesy in part, which means that every single person who prophesies, prophesies, uh, prophesies in the Spirit even. They prophesy to a degree what is the voice of God, and they prophesy to a degree what is actually not the voice of God. It's a guarantee, right? And I uh, really appreciate this comment by Chris Vallotton, um, prophetic leader up at Bethel Church. He said, not even the most mature prophet will always be 100% accurate, accurate 100% of the time. Can't be. Otherwise, 1 Corinthians 13 is wrong. A false prophet is not one who gives an inaccurate word at times. A false prophet is someone who has an evil heart. A heart either aligned with the devil or a heart that's serving themselves and not others. So we need to give grace for incompleteness. At the same time, we need to call out inaccuracy. And this is where community comes into me. My conviction is this, and maybe I'm speaking with the bias of a pastor, but if a prophet is not ready to let the community judge and weigh their words, they are not ready to prof prophesy to that community. If a prophet is not ready to let the community weigh, judge and weigh their words, they are not ready to prophesy to that community. If you give a prophetic word, and you're not willing for those around you to weigh it up and occasionally the feedback come in, we just don't really feel that's, that's from the Lord or we don't feel that's complete, then I don't believe you have authority to speak into our house. Beware of those who won't learn from anyone else and only honor those who agree with them. Because this is what 1 Corinthians 14.29 says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. We have so much of the safety of God in our community because the Spirit of God will help each of us as we lean in together to discern the right way, what he truly is saying, to sort out truth from immaturity and truth from error. And so to be part of community is so important. I really do appreciate that a couple of um, lead prophetic voices and one who I would consider a, a friend they had prophesied uh, the certainty of Donald Trump winning the election. They then published online an apology, saying, on this one, 
I got it wrong. And I'm not saying you should agree with them or don't agree with them. Maybe they're wrong in apologizing. But what I do appreciate is their ownership of their word. That they said, I feel convicted by the Spirit. That somehow I got ahead of the, of the revelation of God. And I declared things that impacted and influenced a lot of people. And to the degree that my words influenced others, I would like now my humility to influence others. I appreciate that. I don't know how about you. Because we're going to do this in part. And we're going to value what is clearly the Spirit. And we're going to encourage and mature when there is that which is inaccurate. But we will have to acknowledge it. The ultimate litmus test for me is true prophets love, know, and have Jesus at the center. Not themselves, not the signs of the times, not the angelic realm, not the demonic realm. They have Jesus. It's, their prophecy is ultimately all about him. And Revelation 19 says this, John says, I fell down at his feet, the feet of the, the risen Christ, uh, or the messenger, to worship the angel. But the angel said to me, you must not do that. Don't worship the angelic realm. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. The thing that prophecy talks the most about is the wonders of Jesus. And if you find yourself confused and conflicted and torn by just the overwhelming amount of words that are said to be from the mouth of prophets, use it as an opportunity to increase your personal relationship with Jesus. Amen? He ultimately is the great star, the north star of discernment in our lives. And um, as we seek to grow in being able to hear the voice of God through the gift of prophecy, through prophets that he raises up, and to discern the voice of the enemy, trying to deceive the church and misdirect the world through false prophecy and false prophets. In the end, may we see the core of the book of Revelation, which is Jesus high and lifted up. And may you focus on him more exclusively than ever before. And then we will know his words because we know his heart and his voice. Lindsay Long uh, responded to her own interaction with all the words and stuff that, that were uh, up in the air about the election with uh, this uh, resolve, um, turn your face to me and I will be all that you see. Today I lost my peace. I found myself down a trail that called my name, but all it led to was panic and fear, and every page was the same, all convincing and full of puffed-up storylines, sharing slander, hate, and all of humanity's crimes. The headings grabbing me like addiction grabs hold and digs in, choking me with all the lies, the depravity of man and the sin, pulling me in and taking my peace. I had enough of the words on the pages that had to cease. It was like one of those storylines that doesn't have an ending, written by many, and the truth was always bending. Fear grabbed hold, and it held me in its grip, and each time I looked, watched, and read, it was causing me to slip deeper and deeper into the hole of darkness, anxiety, and worry. And then, in a moment, I looked up, and I realized I know the story. 
and the story of a world falling apart with wars and rumors of wars about to start. The anger of man, the greed and the hate, it's the same method the enemy has always used as bait. Jesus made known to the world that he is the lion and the lamb, and he alone is in charge of the plan. He roars like a lion and breaks through the lies and the swirl. He is the lamb who took on the sin of the world. He is righteous and full of light, and he reigns in the night. Today I forgot which way was north, and I was panicking and swaying back and forth. And Jesus reminded me that he's not rocked by the storm, and he can see clearly in the dark, and that is the norm. I turned my attention to Jesus and told him all of my fears, and then he held me close, and he wiped away all of my tears. He calmed my heart and drew me near as I spoke the words that I hold so dear. The Lord is my refuge, and in the most high is the place that I dwell. And then he said, you'll never be overtaken by the swell. Turn your face to me, and I will be all that you see. Amen. Would you guys stand together? And uh, let's, let's pray. So, word of God, we say as the Garden Church, we say as members of the body of Christ, uh, we even say as those sincere seekers who uh, are trying to figure all this out, but we say, word of God, that we long to hear the voice of God. We long to hear your voice. And through the gifts and the callings, Lord, that you created in the risen Christ, we say prophesy to your church. Prophesy to us clearly. Prophesy encouragement. Prophesy direction. And give us grace to respond and to believe and to act. But Father, we're also asking, Lord, for the discipline to discern, to not let our emotions run one course or another, but, Father, to sit in your presence and look on your face, Lord, and allow that clarity to come on where our emphasis should be, where our direction should go, Lord, and what we should be sharing with others. So, Father, would you help us discern true prophecy from false, Father, in the name of Jesus, each one of us. But, Father, would you also help us give grace, Lord, just to the maturity process, Lord, Lord, we, it, it's all through a mirror darkly right now. It's not yet face to face. Father, we know in part, Lord, and we prophesy in part, Lord, and so help us celebrate the partial, Lord, that does come from you and help us, Lord, mature and, and grow, Lord, the, the inaccurate, Lord. Uh, Lord, help us mature those, Lord, who um, uh, are growing in their prophetic ability and prophetic gift. But, Father, we do not want to tolerate the presence of false words, Lord, in our life, of false doctrine in our church, Father. We know we have to take a stand and not just tolerate it because it's so difficult to confront. So make us, Lord, a people who know and speak the truth of God. And, Father, reveal more and more truth to us, Father, in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our city. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.